Let's try it. Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are celebrating the Festival of Epiphany in year B uh, and rounding out our series that we started uh, at Christmas time, Good News of Great Joy. So this brief four-part series, Good News of Great Joy, a Savior has been born, God became man, there is peace on earth. We talked about that last time. And today, the Festival of the Epiphany, Good News of Great Joy for All People. Just wanted to note, uh, and I'm sure preachers have, have noticed this already and uh, factored it into their worship plans, but we're recording this in advance, so I just thought I'd mention it. Um, Epiphany falls on a Saturday in 2024, and so you might do this differently based on where Epiphany falls on which day of the week. Some worship planners uh, may have uh, Sunday, January 7th as the baptism of our Lord, because technically it's the first Sunday after the Epiphany. But what we are recommending and what the Foundation Series is going with is to observe the Festival of the Epiphany on January 7th, technically a day late, but your congregation may have services on other days besides just Sunday on this weekend. Um, and then uh, to observe what we did last week, uh, the first Sunday after Christmas uh, on the previous Sunday. This keeps the season of Christmas closer to its normal length rather than skipping ahead on December 31st right away to the first uh, to uh, the festival of the Epiphany. Um, so if this option is chosen, meaning you have Epiphany on January 7th, what the foundation is recommending then is that the following Sunday, January 14th, that's when you'd observe the baptism of our Lord. Technically, that would be a week later than it would actually fall on the calendar. And then further, the foundation resources are recommending that you might skip over the readings for the second Sunday after the Epiphany and just skip right to the third Sunday after the Epiphany on January 21st uh, to get back on track. Um, so at any rate, preachers and worship planners, I'm sure have thought through this uh, already, or you will be very soon, but this is the schedule for our preacher podcasts and the foundation resources. So just wanted to mention that before we begin. Well, I uh, wanted to introduce one last time our preachers for this series, um, and they've been with us since Advent. Pastor Nathan Beagie from Victory of the Lamb Lutheran Church in Katy, Texas, and Pastor Caleb Shanick from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in College Station, Texas. So, uh, Caleb, could we start with you? Could you just talk a little bit about how this good news of great joy theme extends to this festival of the Epiphany. Good news of great joy extends not just but not just to the festival of Epiphany, but it is the extension of the good news of great joy to the far corners of the earth. And the Magi are certainly a illustration of that. So, um, you know, Christmas continues. Uh, this is maybe the culmination of Christmas, a little bit of a hinge uh, pivoting to the, the season of Epiphany, but wonderful to put this in proximity to the Christmas uh, celebration thematically. Uh, good news of great joy for all people uh, extending uh, as far as the ends of the earth. Um, and uh, the, the wise men from the East definitely give us a good, good illustration of that. So 
I think it fits in nicely, not just as the beginning uh, of a new season, but also as the end of the Christmas season, so to speak. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Nathan, could we uh, hear a little bit about the first and second readings before we get into the gospel as our sermon text? Yeah, so the, the first reading is Balaam's fourth oracle or message. And of course, this is where King Balak hired the heathen magician prophet Balaam to curse the Israelites, but then God was working behind the scenes so that he would only bless the Israelites. And this is the culmination message where right before the, the first reading, King Balak, I picture him jumping up and down and pounding his fist saying, I hired you to curse them and all you've done is bless them. You're not getting paid now. And Balaam says, well, I can only do what the Lord has, has said. And then he goes on to announce the obvious connection to the Magi coming from the east, including the, the words, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Not included in the lectionary text, but if you add the second half of verse 17 there, it's a connection not only to the Magi coming from the East, but also to the final destiny of those who try to arrange their own safety apart from God, as Balak was trying to do. Because Balaam's message there in 17b, if, if you added the whole verse, would be that he will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the people of Sheth, which certainly meant doom. For King Balak, and it also connecting with the gospel reading, means the same doom for King Herod, as long as he would stay like that, trying to arrange his own safety apart from Jesus, um, you're, you're ultimately doomed if you do that. So there, there's a lot of neat connections in that, that first reading. The second reading describes Paul's passion for all people and just his marveling with astonishment gushing out at how the Lord would use the rejection of some in Israel, one of whom used to be Paul, in order to save the Gentiles and to save more. And so the, the pattern there is the elect heard and were saved. The rest of the Jews that, that listened got, got hardened, but the hardening wasn't final. And the gospel then went to the Gentiles because of that rejection. But then some of those Jews saw the Gentiles come to faith and said, hey, hey, me too. And in the end, the Lord used all of that to bring more to his saving grace and saving arms. And so Paul then, it's not part of the text, but at the end of chapter 11, he just marvels at the wisdom of God. His paths are beyond tracing out. He is, he is worth trusting in every area. And he is worth having, certainly we want to have the same passion for the lost that, that he has. And so the connection to the gospel is, is how God can use anything to bring his gospel to all. Right. Yeah. And we say the same thing that Paul did at the end there. Yeah. Praise be to God for his grace that operates in ways we cannot even fathom. Um, yeah. Just to echo what you said about numbers, uh, Nathan, and we kind of, uh, we're chatting about this before we started recording. Um, yeah, maybe if if I were preaching on the numbers text, I maybe wrap in 17b 
where you could get a little bit more of the context and something like that and then connect it with that or if I were preaching um, at some other occasion or going through numbers in a class um, definitely include that or point that out but yeah for the purposes of uh, uh, the lectionary here I can see why they cut it off at 17a um, it, 17b just requires some explanation it's awesome explanation if you can do it right to make those connections but um, yeah, I can see why they they included uh, 17a only. Uh, well, let's get into our sermon text a little bit. Uh, Caleb, could we go back to you? Uh, some thoughts on this familiar text, Matthew 2, 1 to 12, and um, this account of God reaching out with good news of great joy uh, to people from other nations. Your thoughts that could be helpful to preachers? From my vantage point in history, I don't know that I would say when I open up Matthew chapter 2 and begin reading it, that I have strong thoughts in my mind of Jesus was just the Savior for the Jewish people. Of course, being a Gentile and 2,000 years removed, I'm the beneficiary of that work. Uh, but uh, but I, I don't know that my initial read of the text is, um, th this is going to be the text that unlocks uh, the reality that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jewish people, but he is also the Savior of the Gentile people. So um, just with that thought in mind, um, I, I think one of the fun things about this text is, while it is properly understood as the Gentile Christmas, and, uh, and Gentiles come and worship Jesus, and it's part of this Christmas season, if you will, um, it, you know, I think the the concept of Magi being treated as converts um, puts them as the object of the action, uh, whereas this text also, and the Epiphany season then, um, really has this beautiful emphasis on the Magi and Gentiles being the subject of the activity, uh, that is, being those who take the gospel and share it to others. I don't remember which commentary I read it in, uh, but it referred to the Magi as the earliest Christian missionaries. Uh, that was just a profound thought uh, that as they saw Christ and they went back, they were, you know, um, telling people about Jesus. Obviously the shepherds would have done that, but they would have been Gen uh, Jewish. And here you have an example of, of Gentiles now being the earliest missionaries. So uh, that was just uh, one one thought that I, I felt rose to the surface, not just Magi as, as object, uh, but uh, the Magi as, as subject of the activity here. Um, really, really a lot of uh, things with this text, I think, come to mind quickly for, for people. Uh, that is, you know, the origin specifically about the, the Magi, um, the speculation about how they could have been influenced from the Israelites' uh, Babylonian captivity, and Daniel in, in specific, Ezekiel obviously there a little bit too. The number of the Magi, the, uh, the, the meaning of the gifts and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, and really, it's, it's kind of interesting, while those are questions that commonly come to the surface, um, we really don't have specific answers for any of them. And it's just an opportunity to say it's not, th this text is one of those occasions where it's not about the what, but about the why. And, um, you know, why did they come? They, they knew, they believed 
that there was the promise of a savior and that Jesus was that savior. And that's why they came. They came to, to worship the savior. Um, so, uh, so that, that's perhaps just a helpful thought is, as some of those other issues that present themselves oftentimes in, in looking at this text, uh, the star would be an, another one of those things that oftentimes is talked about. We, we just really don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what was this thing? Was it a star? What, you know, how did it work? We, we don't know, but we know why. Uh, God and his grace led the, led the Magi to worship Jesus. And that's, that's, that's the why. So um, then maybe just one or two other things here quickly before uh, I kind of wrap up my thoughts on that. Um, the, there is a comparison of sorts that can be made here, I think, between um, Herod's reaction to the news and the wise men's reaction to the news. Um, and uh, you know, somebody who you maybe would expect, meaning someone in Jerusalem and familiar with Jewish people, um, completely oblivious to the arrival of the king. Uh, here you have these Gentile magi uh, completely in tune with the arrival of the king. Uh, the ones in Jerusalem not wanting it, the ones from afar uh, wanting nothing more than it. And so uh, so here you have um, a, a really neat thing where uh, Herod and his plan are hijacked, but God and his plan continue. And um, so uh, ju just several good chunks to the text here, and uh, those would probably be some of the initial thoughts that that I would highlight as I go through it. Yeah, thank you. Um, Nathan, uh, you want to pick up on any of those or, or add some? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to pick up on what Caleb was just talking about, the, the comparison of, the, of Herod and the Magi. And um, I always think in this familiar text that the Magi must have come from a long, long ways away if the first place they went to ask about a newborn king around here, could you, could you point us in the right direction? was King Herod not being aware of how paranoid he was right. about protecting his throne. Um, this is the guy who murdered his wife. This is the guy who lured his son into a trap and, and then had him killed because he just was so protective of his throne. And so the contrast of who would you rather live your life like? Herod being disturbed and then... All Jerusalem is disturbed with him. So if the king is frantic, everyone around is frantic. If the king is flying around with wide eyes, everyone around is also flying around with wide eyes because they're they're terrified of what this paranoid king is going to do because they know him too well. As compared to the Magi, who are just full of contentment and joy and interest in learning more about Jesus and and wow, they just can't wait to go worship him with all they've got. Just just those two contrasts of the palace when the Magi arrived. I think you can really talk a lot about that in, in the sermon regarding which which path do you want to follow in your life? Who do you want to be more like? And uh, there's just rich, rich comparisons to be made there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, so when you guys talk about, uh, law and gospel thoughts in the sermon, is that where you would go, Nathan, probably just to, uh, you know, use Herod as, um, kind of the, uh, paradigm, the example of 
uh, here's someone who he himself wants to be king. He wants no other king, something like that. Yeah, that's definitely a good starting point. Um, Herod's trying to arrange his own rescue, arrange his own okay. salvation. Yeah. And I mean, he had power, so he was generally able to make sure no one stopped him except God, of course. And so like that first reading where Balak was doomed no matter what he tried. And the prediction was the, the skulls of Moab will also be destroyed no matter what mm -hmm. they try. When you try to arrange your own life apart from King Jesus, you will be destroyed in the worst possible way. And we don't want that end. So we would much rather be like the wise men and the Magi cultivating a close relationship with him, not letting the frantic world get in the way, not letting the paranoia for more money and power be a attractive path to follow at all costs. And so I guess you sure, I mean, probably lots of texts in scripture, you could end up saying, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But but this is certainly a, a great text for that, as well as for stewardship, that instead of being me first with my money, me first with my time, me first with, with all of that, I'm going to give generously and not let anyone in the world distract me or get in the way of, of Jesus and me. Yeah, I think thoughts for application, right? Uh, what, what kind of flows out of um, God's reaching out with his grace to these men from far away, um, him revealing himself to them, revealing his own son to them, their salvation. Um, yeah, what are some things that flow out of, of their newfound faith in the Savior then? Um, yeah, and contrasting that with, uh, here's Herod, um, who shows the opposite uh, attitude in so many ways. Um, so for uh, a main gospel emphasis, I think, Caleb, you said it before, but um, so striking here in this text, God's love for the nations, uh, for all people, um, is, is that kind of uh, what you tend to emphasize as the main gospel thought? Yeah, um, the just just maybe circling back a little bit to the law too, um, you know, so many things could have thwarted God's plan. Herod, perhaps the strongest example of it here, and God's, God's plans cannot be thwarted. Um, that, that would definitely be uh, a thought that comes out here, but with the, with the law too, just we have questions about some of the details of the text, the star, the wise men, the gifts. Um, could you imagine what it would have been like for Herod? Uh, he doesn't need much sympathy, but uh, when the wise men arrived at his doorstep, you know, it wasn't like he was able to, to quickly ask his uh, servants to do a Facebook search um, to check LinkedIn or to vet these strangers. Um, royal regal representatives perhaps learned perhaps they had some sort of swagger um and uh you know herod would have been asking who are these guys and um uh there again this text just there's so there's so much detail here and yet there's so much uncertainty about it and it it's easy to get distracted and uh and then the this simple gospel proclamation of um 
you know, it, it really is the Micah prophecy. Um, a ruler has come who is the shepherd of my people. Um, all, all those other distractions and details uh, don't, don't matter. This is the ruler. This is the ruler by God's proclamation through the scriptures and through revelation to the wise men. Um, and even in his grace that Herod would be able to touch that, that promise from the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, he, he has stood accountable before God as a result of it. But um, this, is the, this is the ruler. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the shepherd. Um, that, that would be, in, in my opinion, uh, you know, w- when you read this text and you say, where is a specific gospel statement in here? There's so much narrative going on, and it, it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but that Micah prophecy really says it uh, as, as forcefully, I think, as, as anything in this text. And um, that, that that would be a promise not limited just to uh, Mary and Joseph, that they would be the ones who would escape, but that the wise men would also be able to escape Herod, that it wasn't just Mary and Joseph who were seeing Jesus, baby Jesus, as a ruler and a shepherd, but the wise men, these Gentiles, were seeing it, and and they were all going to carry this message with them wherever they went. So, um, yeah, savior of all nations, but, uh, but coming at it a little bit more from the angle of, um, you know, how do we know, how do we know, how do we know? The, the gospel convinces us, just as it did the wise men. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, Nathan, uh, further thoughts on kind of the, the gospel um, proclaimed from this text? Well, um, I've been thinking about how this could connect with the Romans reading, and this is um, certainly speculation a little bit, but the, the path in the Romans reading was that the gospel goes first to the Jews, the elect are saved, many others are hardened. So then the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and, and some of them believe, which then creates an envy, and I want that too feeling. Thinking about how, wouldn't it be something if we found out in heaven one day that some of those folks in Herod's palace full of paranoia, flying around, freaking out, not caring much about Jesus, other than some bare facts that don't really touch the heart. Notice these magi here, they're full of joy. They're full of contentment as we're talking about this king. Huh. I really don't like my life of flying around paranoid. Like that's all I've known. I, I want what they have. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that happened. Yep. Um, like I said, it's speculation. We have no way of knowing until right. we get to heaven, but it's it certainly it does fit if you wanted to bring in the Romans reading with something like that. It, it reminds me of what Caleb just said about, uh, you know, the wise men not only being recipients of uh, the message, but also kind of uh, ones to share the message. Um, yeah, so yeah, right, right. Maybe even uh, some of the first people they contact, uh, came into contact with there in Jerusalem, saw something and uh, God used them as kind of a bridge for his gospel, uh, and maybe using that Micah passage too. Um, yeah, interesting thoughts. Um, other uh, thoughts for application or illustration you might want to share with people um, to help bring out some of the law gospel themes in the text or application sanctification themes in the text. Um, Caleb, uh, any further things that might be helpful? 
I don't know if I stole my own thunder last week or not, but uh, small is not insignificant uh, is definitely a, a thought that comes to mind again. Again, the Micah prophecy, um, you Bethlehem, even though you're tiny, out of you is going to come one who who is great. Um, there, there was uh, I, I, I live about an hour and a half away from Baylor University, and and about twenty years ago, uh, Fred Craddock came to Baylor to preach, and I was able to go and hear Fred Craddock preach in in person. Um, but even though I still remember that sermon that he gave today, which was interesting because he's such a well-known homiletician, but also interesting because there was some some significant parts absent in the sermon. But I digress. The chapel that we were at um, on the Baylor campus had a table of books that were, you know, please take a book if you want, not from Fred Craddock, just from from whatever. And uh, and I, I don't remember the name of the man, but um, it was a, it was a little 120 page book, and it was called Shepherding the Small Church. Uh, it was just published in house uh, at some print center, not not uh, in the Library of Congress. And it just talked about um, the power of the small church, uh, and that if you're if you're a, a pastor, maybe especially a young pastor or a pastor assigned for the first time or a, a newly assigned to to a small church, um, don't underestimate the power of God and and his plan to work through that small church. And he cited an example from his own life. And uh, it it was, it was pretty, you know, it it would have been the equivalent of uh, three young boys from that church went on to become like a president of their synod, a seminary professor and uh, a world missionary. And, uh, you know, being very careful not to say that those are more prestigious um, but the impact that can be had uh, through men who are given the opportunity and the privilege to serve in, in such a place. And um, again, small is not insignificant. Uh, small churches, uh, when we're feeling small in our gospel efforts, um, so on and so forth, it, it just, uh, small small is not insignificant. Again, the Micah uh, prophecy touches on that. And, um, you, you know, we we hold the wise men up as an example of these great people, but um, if there were just three of them, if there were just four of them um, traveling a long way away from home, uh, I don't know that I would have been comfortable showing up with an army of a hundred people at Herod's palace, right? He could have taken that down quickly and easily. Um, To be just three guys showing up, if it was three, who knows, but um, Small is not insignificant. Surely Mary and Joseph would not have felt that three people showing up to encourage them in their life of serving their God and raising that child was insignificant. So maybe two weeks of the same sermon, maybe <laughs> maybe you get to use it once. But similar, yeah, similar thoughts and themes there. Uh, Nathan, any any suggestions for illustrations, applications? I think this is a a great one to talk about how the same news flash creates such a different reaction and um, pick, pick a, a big win that, that your people would be very uh, in tune with for us in Houston. That would be the Astros winning the world series in 2022. So Jordan Alvarez hits one over the moon center field propels them to a big win everybody's celebrating whole town's excited 
that same Houston Astros win the World Series message was just crushing beyond compare in Philadelphia to all of the, the Phillies fans. And so the, the same message brought such great joy as well as such great sadness and, and hurt, heartbreak. And a savior is born in Bethlehem. One message brought such exceedingly great joy to some while such disturbance to and paranoia to others. And so I think that's a, a good way to get into this text as you're, you're leading into the joy of the Magi meeting up with the paranoia of Herod and the palace and then on from there. Right. So maybe good. Yeah. Good way to lead into uh, the retelling of the text. Um, yeah. So kind of the, the central thought of the text um, and our, the way it's framed in the lectionary, I think highlights this. Uh, God wants to bring his good news to people from all nations. Um, as Kayla mentioned before, it's kind of the text that signals um yeah, what, uh, what Simeon said was really true, right? This a Savior is meant to be a light for the Gentiles. Um, and uh, here God is demonstrating that as he leads some Gentiles to Jesus uh, to see his son. Um, yeah, and, and what, what a revolutionary kind of thing this is. Um, God's love extending to the world um, seen so clearly here. Uh, yeah, and lots of other thoughts we can build on that. And yeah, I, I'm intrigued too by just the differing reactions between Herod and the people in Jerusalem and, and the wise men um, and, uh, and how we can identify with those, those things uh, and those reactions to the word that comes. Um, yeah, anything further uh, to help out uh, preachers as they think about this text one maybe they've preached on before or maybe a whole bunch of times before um, but I think still one that for good reason is popular among us uh, Nathan we've probably said this maybe not quite as uh, succinctly or clearly but but it's all been a part of everything we're talking about here but but just the huge point faith only pays attention to the word and it doesn't pay attention to what it sees and hears in the world around them. And, and similar thing here, the Magi only paid attention to the star, the communication of God, the king is born. That's all we're going to focus on. That is that is what we are really going to dig our, our fingernails into, never mind the rest of it. And it's just such a great opportunity to, to really help people do that. Yeah. Yeah, to encourage people uh, by the spirit. Yeah, hang on to that, um, right? Don't laser-like focus on God's revealing his son to you um, and how that um, makes all the difference. Um, yeah, any any final thoughts for preachers? Uh, Caleb? You know, the timeline is so uncertain, but if, if Herod's executive order to kill every male child under the age of two uh, helps us to place, um, you know, Jesus' age to, to two or under. Um, spend some time with a two-year-old before you preach this sermon, maybe, and just comprehend what it would be like bowing down to say, hey, buddy, you're the king. <laughs> yeah. That's not how we operate with two-year-olds, and for good reason. Right. Um, right. But th he's the... That, 
that two-year-old, that baby Jesus, he's the one. Um, always has been. Um, and uh, so not, not too much insightful there other than just, um, just keeping it real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably plenty of two-year-olds uh, think of themselves as the king, as the center of the universe, right? I mean, uh, but yeah, a two-year-old, that, that's a whole other uh, rabbit hole. What was, t- what was toddler Jesus like? Um, yeah, uh, but uh, right. But yeah, bowing down to this young child and maybe even putting together with that Micah passage, yeah, this is the one, this is the ruler of all rulers. Uh, and bowing down to him, um, acknowledging him. Yeah, and something here in this text, too, again, about how, uh, you know, God could have broadcast this truth to the nations, um, uh, done more than just a star, but here it's it's a relatively small group of people who comes, like, you know, that the little group of shepherds who came in in, uh, the Luke 2 reading, and um, how quietly this all happens, but, uh, but still, this is kind of in a hidden way, uh, God's glory in action and uh, his intent to, to send this good news out to all the nations and all people. Um, we're astounded by it still. All right. Well, uh, any closing thoughts, guys? Um, hey, if not, uh, we'll wrap it up there. And I just want to thank you, Nathan, Caleb, for uh, being with us these last few weeks um, and uh, through this Good news of great joy and the King Shall Come series prior to this. Thank you for your work. God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim the good news of great joy.